Uh, thanks for coming to the seminar too. Uh, man, ideas for churches in regards to local churches and missions. Um, yeah, one of the difficult things for our students coming down to Radius is most of them, I'd say 50% or maybe even more, come from churches that have a pretty good idea of how to send them, how to support them, how to prepare them. Uh, what is uh, a little disappointing, uh, as students come down to us, some find out my church really isn't in a position yet to, to thoughtfully send me. When I say thoughtfully send, our students are having to make a lot of big decisions. Uh, who do we team up with? What country are we going to? What organization are we going to go to? And they're going to be taught to look to you guys to have that discussion. We want them being sent out in every single way from their local churches. And churches that are uh, ill-equipped to give valid input, uh, sometimes that's a little bit discouraging for our students. So again, it takes a lot of time and study to be an informed missions committee member uh, this is not the mission of the, the job of the whole church to send them out. Uh, the, the, you, it, it is something that you do need to have some dedicated people uh, that will do this. So anyway, uh, my own background in uh, missions committees. Uh, Beth and I came back from uh, Papua New Guinea in 1999. Um, soon after that, I was put in as the missions pastor at our church in San Diego, California. Uh, we, have a large, we don't have a large church. We have a large missions church. Uh, there was a point in time. Uh, of our uh, uh, membership, about 350 people, that we had one-tenth of them overseas as career missionaries, okay? And so we had to develop efficient policies that would help us guide them uh, to do missions, missions in a biblical way and to uh, provide uh, man, oversight for them, too, in the sense of knowing the situations. I, as a missions pastor, there was no way I could know every single one of their situations. So I really relied on support teams, Okay. Um, <clears throat> backing even up from that, uh, let me just say that no church is perfect. Okay, no church has no issues. Uh, but as we're talking here, if there's too much dysfunction in a church uh, to be a healthy sending church, uh, it's just going to be very, very difficult to pull off. So uh, don't look for perfection, uh, but uh, you need to be self-aware as to where your church is uh, to try to s send and support missionaries. Uh, if things aren't pretty healthy at home, uh, eventually that uh, has its own set of problems. So, okay, uh, moving on from there. And I'm hoping to get through this uh, fairly quickly, so if there's uh, some Q&A time, we can do that. Uh, why a missions committee? <clears throat> um, yeah, I'll just put it up. Hopefully your church will have too many missionaries sent out for the existing leadership to handle all your missionaries. Uh, I know churches that the pastor really is the lead person for that. Uh, if you have one or two missionaries, that's viable, that's doable. Uh, but uh, even in a situation like that, uh, senior pastors have a lot to do, okay? And to oversee the missions program too, it can be cumbersome, especially when you get into having seven, eight, nine, ten missionaries sent out from your church. So uh, good to at some point designate whether it's a missions pastor or a missions point person. Uh, this is... Uh, to me, essential. Missionary care groups, okay? Our church in San Diego, uh, we make it a, a, a mandatory that every missionary has a care group, okay? Not, not just underneath the authority of the missions committee, which is underneath the authority of the church eldership, but his own particular care group. Uh, but for those care groups to have differing policies for their missionaries, obviously that's not workable. And so the policies that guide the church really must uh, emanate from the missions committee endorsed by the eldership. Okay, You don't go against your eldership. Uh, but honestly, to make up missions committee policies or missions policies for your church, that's a real significant subset of your eldership board. It's great when your eldership can be a part and parcel of that. Uh, but for a church like ours, uh, man, our elders have enough going on and so we have a very active missions committee uh, that looks out for those policies. 
uh, another aspect. And learning what, in, what is going on in missions takes time. Uh, one of the things I really appreciated when I came on as missions pastor is I worked hard, and, and it was kind of a new thought because every committee changes over in our church historically. Uh, man, finally I was able to convince our elders, please, if we have somebody on the missions committee, don't make it a five-year term. It takes so long to learn the issues of missions and to learn what's going on with those particular missionaries on the field. So if a person comes on our missions committee, and Zach uh, Shira, he's over here, just wave your hand, Zach. Uh, Zach's uh, one of the guys on our church missions committee. Uh, Nathan Robinson, the, the guy who's leading us in worship, uh, he's a missions pastor at our church. Uh, one of the things that really gives stability to the program and to the missionaries out there is there is virtually no turnover on our missions committee. Uh, again, it takes time to learn those situations, so I'd really encourage you in that. Another thing about missions committees, and I, I know I'm getting into uh, sticky waters here, uh, but uh, make sure there are enough younger voices on your missions committee. Uh, I've been in too many situations where it's retired people alone that make up the missions committee. And if you're seeking, and, and, I, and I get it, retired people have more time, uh, but if you're seeking to generate energy uh, for future missionaries that might come up within your ranks, for them to only be able to talk to somebody in their 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, guys, there better be some younger voices that are very energized to do that, that know how to communicate with your 20-year-olds, okay? And uh, somebody or a few voices on that missions committee that can envision them, encourage them, walk with them. This is a process of getting people from your church to actually head out to the field. Um, again, I can't emphasize this enough. To be on the missions committee and not make time to read is critical. It will take you much reading, many reading hours to get up to speed as to what is going on in missions today. Uh, do not assume that things are like the, what they were 40 years ago. That is just not the case. And the reality is, uh, in the last 20 years, we'll talk about this in a minute, in the last 20 years, uh, because there is a current mentality in many sending agencies, not all, and the sending agencies that are here, uh, that are displaying, uh, they do not have this mentality, uh, but it is common in many other agencies. They're only going to be on the field two, three, four, five years. So we have to make them effective. We have to make use of new methods. And uh, those new methods, and we'll talk about that in a bit, uh, have really shortcutted the gospel. People that are not fluent in local languages or fluent even in major languages are trying to get into gospel ministry. And who really knows uh, what the outcome of those attempts to share the gospel has been? It's going to take time for you to be conversant in uh, historic methods. And uh, this book here, uh, which has just come out, I cannot recommend it more highly to you. Uh, it's going to give you an overview of biblically driven historic methods. Methods, okay, these methods should never have been changed. Okay, this has again only come out in the last couple months. This book here, uh, I've been pleading for for years. Uh, this is actually a book that's going into the methods that are being used today in a very gracious tone, actually uh, measuring new methods that are mo more common than not. Uh, most missionaries that have been sent out in the last 20 years. Uh, have been practicing these methods because they've been trained in those methods by their agency. If you want, I'm not going to name names of agencies, but uh, if you want to ask me after this <laughs> breakout session is over, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. And uh, Anyway, uh, it's going to take time to read and to uh, get up to speed. It is critical, though. None of you want to be uh, putting your mission's money into endeavors uh, that are going to be counterproductive to the gospel. And we're not talking about evil people overseas, but when a 25-year-old person who's gone through seminary uh, goes 
goes into your typical uh, mission agency orientation and he's told this is what's working, it's working, it's working. Um, you know what, it's pretty hard to uh, resist that coming from a 45-year-old person who spent you know, 15 years in Pakistan. So uh, this is the type of situation that many young, very capable, very uh, God-loving and, and grounded in Scripture missionary candidates find themselves into, it, actually imbibing methods that their home church would never countenance, uh, but they just don't know uh, that there's a historic method that's been set aside. <clears throat> How do you form a missions committee, a healthy missions committee? Um, Man, some of the issues involved in this is what do you do with experienced ex-missionaries who volunteer? Uh, this is not uncommon. They've been on the field <clears throat> 30 years. Uh, their narrative uh, can become touchy. Okay, uh, It's awkward. Uh, and depending on the makeup of that uh, ex-missionary, if he's willing to uh, say, this is what I did, but I wish I didn't. This is what I did, but I should have done this. If he doesn't have a death grip on his own narrative, he could be a huge addition to your missions committee. Uh, but if uh, his, what he did on the field is going to be uh, the model that he expects everybody else to work through, that could be counterproductive. Uh, what do you do with too many retirees who have time on their hands? Uh, I, I have been with um, quite a few missions committees in my travels and talking in different churches. And loving the Lord, no doubt about it. Uh, love, man... <laughs> the idea of completing the Great Commission, desiring to see missionaries raised up. How do you gracefully off-ramp people if you get too top-heavy with people who have time on their hands? Uh, that's an issue. You need to take care uh, to be sure your missions committee is actually going to be able to do the job. Uh, <clears throat> what to do with those who will not think strategically? And uh, th there are, uh, as Kevin DeYoung talked about yesterday, what is what is the mission of our of us individually as followers of Christ? Um, and I could get lost in that topic all on its own, uh, versus what's the mission of the church. And for people who either cannot think strategically or they won't think strategically, all they see is, well, that's a needy area. That's a needy situation. Uh, and um, missions energies are easily swallowed up in needs, 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 needs. Uh, and so uh, and the capacity to think carefully, not to be... Uh, cold-hearted uh, once in a while uh, we must step outside of our policies and by the way I'll, I'll talk about policies in a minute but um, yeah you want some people that are uh, able to think strategically uh, that, okay yeah don't want to get into that I will say this uh, having a missions committee that is just really strategically thinking that is well-read that is long-term if you if your senior pastor doesn't have the back of the missions effort, uh, it's really hard for a missions committee to function. If the senior passion pastor doesn't have a vision for reaching the world, and what can we do? Uh, I, I can I appreciate so much when I came on as senior pastor, uh, when I came on as a missions uh, pastor, uh, the senior pastor at that time, he, he sat me down, and in, in a very gracious way, he made it real clear, uh, Brad, you're the missions pastor, okay? Your job is to protect the resources and the lives of our church. Okay, your job is to say no. You're the bad guy. I'm the senior pastor. I'm the shoulder they come to and cry on when you've broken their heart. Okay, and somebody in your situation in your church uh, needs to be the person to say no 
to good ideas. Because all you're going to hear is good ideas. You're not going to hear bad ideas. Nobody's thinking of going out and being a crack dealer in Burma, okay? Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of wasted effort in the missions world. And somebody in your missions committee uh, needs to be able to say, nope, God bless you. We love you. But we're not funding that. We're not putting our church knuckle behind that. What was real helpful uh, for our church, and it took us years to do this. Uh, Beth and I, again, we came back. We did not know what was going on in the missions role. We were just stuck into our hole in the jungle. Uh, came back, or it was put in, in that position. And the, the, the focus, which hadn't been a focus that we'd landed on, but because of the uh, vision of the youth pastor, who was the one who raised up most of us guys uh, to go into missions, man, the focus on reaching unreached language groups was just inherent in our church. It had formed naturally, organically. And then I came back, and we had uh, people wanting to do this, 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 this. And I, and I found myself being the bad guy more than I ever wanted to be. And uh, so eventually, me and the other folks, Zach was one of them on the missions committee, we came up with two sets of policies uh, that uh, helped our church hone in so that we had policies that guarded us. It wasn't a personal issue. One set of policies was, this is what we're doing as a church. We're not saying everything else is bad. But this is what we're doing as a church. And it really is a focus on reaching unreached language groups. And, and again, God bless churches who don't want to do that or, do, or want to do other things. We're not against that. But for us as a church, we're very committed to seeing the Great Commission completed. These are the policies uh, or the, <clears throat> the, the focuses of our church. These are the type of people that we want to support. And we had a list of people. Uh, they weren't out of a job. They were good communicators. They were people that had shown themselves to be servants of the church. They'd been in our church. Uh, you didn't have to be born and raised in our church, but they wanted to, we wanted them to have a long history of our church, uh, a history of service, teaching the little kids, pulling weeds. Uh, one of the things that we implemented was uh, we will put some money toward one uh, short-term missions trip. After that, if you have time on your hands in the summertime to travel to Burma or Indonesia, no, you stay home, pull weeds, take care of the little kids, paint the nursery buildings. We want to know they have a work ethic, okay? And so we're very leery of the, the traveling jet-set missionary in our church, and that has not uh, impeded at all our church raising up a continual flow of missionaries. Uh, we put this out there. It's not a secret. If you're thinking of career missions, uh, this is the route that you go through. And again, it's just been a, a joy to see uh, that pipeline, I wouldn't say full, uh, but we have three in it now, and we have uh, more on the way in the pipeline, and we have many, many people overseas. Okay, the authority of the local church versus missionary autonomy. Uh, this is a, a common question. How much, uh, how much reporting should we have our missionaries uh, be doing? Uh, Beth and I had a variety of churches uh, that supported us. We thanked God for them. Uh, we did have one church. I, I, that's not a joke. A, a written report, a lengthy written report four times a year. Uh, well, let me tell you, when you're in culture and language study, things aren't changing that much in a year, okay? You're just slugging it out. And even when you have baby believers, one year to the next, uh, you're kind of scratching for differentiations if you're you know, having to write a report uh, versus the style of, well, we send a monthly check, okay? And obviously somewhere in between there. Uh, we have a, uh, a lot of talk about member care now. Now, when we were on the field, they didn't even have computers when we got there for the first 15 years. So there's no such thing as Zooming or telephone telephoning or whatever like that. Member care, yeah, forget about it. You're just out there. Uh, but now member care and, and churches that feel a, a big responsibility to member care their, uh, their, their people on the field. Uh, that's a worthwhile discussion. I don't have enough time to get into it here. But one of the things that we teach our students at Radius is embrace loneliness. 
Embrace it. It's not to be feared. It's a good thing. The loneliness of your first months on the field will drive you into the fabric of the people that you're working with. Uh, don't, so be careful of breaking your people into a model where they, because if you're hearing from them once every two weeks, you better believe mom and dad are hearing from them more often than that, especially if grandkids, grandkids are in the equation. And when that kicks in, man, their ability to be focused, to be completely there in the situation just drivels out the door. Not because they desire that, but because they're looking forward to that next call. Man, the grandkids are talking with grandma and grandpa. And uh, man, when they do ha- go through some discouragement, when they do get lonely, man, and they pick up that capacity to Zoom, and off they go. Uh, we'll talk more about this. If you guys have students that come through Radius, we have a thing called Radius Days, and we actually spend time talking about how much member care. Uh, again, loneliness is not to be feared. Uh, we, we, we really get that through the heads of our students down there. Embrace it. Let it do its job. Of course, if somebody's tanking spiritually or physically or emotionally, send up a flare Get online. You can do that. Uh, but it's that habitual every month, month in, month out. Uh, I would discourage that. Yeah, this thing of modality, sodality. How many of you have taken a perspectives course? Okay, pretty common. Uh, I, I never heard of the term modality, sodality, until I took perspectives. Uh, there is that view that was introduced by those terms uh, that a, a sodality is that missionary team, okay, and they have complete autonomy, okay. This is one way that's, uh, that that you, word and concept is used uh, versus the modality, which is the church, which has many things going on. Uh, man, your, ch- your church is absolutely the center of your missionary. Your church is absolutely the authority of what's going on on that missionary team overseas. And that should be very clear to your candidate. Uh, some organizations uh, will talk the talk of, uh, yeah, it's a local church endeavor. But in reality, uh, man, they're doing the, the top-down organizing. Or they have the, the team as such a uh, autonomous group of individuals uh, that the team... Uh, actually feels like we're really not under the church, okay? Uh, as missions pastor, there's no way I can micromanage my missionaries, okay? I knew that uh, from being on the field, even with communication having improved. Uh, there's just no way that a local church can can be so aware of what's an out-of-bounds, uh, serious uh, law and order situation versus what is normative, okay? Uh, every four years when there were elections in Papua New Guinea, uh, man, we were threatened to be kicked out, man, people were threatening coming in there with guns and stuff like that, you know, scaring the life out of everybody, and it was only because we had senior missionaries like, yeah, that happens every four years, every four years, and then after the elections would be over, all the people that were giving us such grief, they say, you know we have to do that, and we were the bad guys, all the expats, all the foreigners were the bad guys, okay, and then they'd come back and apologize, well, if I would have told my church after three years that they're threatening to kill us, they're threatening this, you know, Men, my church, like most of them, get out of there. Get out of there. Uh, thank God for senior missionaries that were in the area saying that's normative. Okay, So realize you can't know the situation intimately. You'll get the broad brush strokes. I would encourage you, get to know as uh, the missions committee, somebody on that missions committee, get to know the, lead, the local leadership of your missionary before there's an issue. Uh, because too commonly what happens is once there becomes an issue, the missionary is telling his leadership one thing. He's telling you guys as a local church another thing. Kind of like what, what our kids do when they're six years old, playing mom and dad against each other. Get to know the local leaders before there's an issue so that you can have some rapport, some confidence in them uh, before something comes up. <clears throat> 
yeah, the issue of delegation uh, as a local, local church sending people overseas, pretty hard to keep real tabs on what's going on over there. So if you have engaged local leadership that can give you culture languages, culture language position updates, uh, marriage updates, ministry updates uh, from uh, objective eyes, that's a huge benefit for you being able to monitor what's happening there. Uh, missions policies in the local church, why are they helpful? Uh, without them, who qualifies gets to be very personal. Uh, man, my, my friend has a son. Um, I've got a, a nephew. Uh, it gets into that, who do you know on the missions committee? Who do you know within the church? Those policies saved me much grief. Uh, as Yeah, if you meet the policies. And did we make exceptions? We did. We had a situation in our church uh, where we had a young man who grew up in our church he married and he had the potential as missions pastor i saw that he might be able to do this thing uh, he married a, a woman a girl uh, very very fragile they had gone through no training uh, and there was no way and i knew this there was no way they were going to make it overseas and uh, and i told our senior pastor and i thank god for the wisdom that he gave me at that point in time because i didn't want to have failures on my watch if i could predict failure it was going to make me look bad and me feel bad and uh, so i didn't want to have failure on my watch the people that i endorsed i wanted to be winners and uh, and yet the senior pastor realized because he had a you know grander view he says if we don't send them we'll split our church Go ahead and send them. And that was really hard for me to step away from these policies that we'd worked so hard. But he was right. And so we sent them. And in a couple of years, they came back. And uh, the, the world kept turning. You know. And uh, so sometimes you're going to have these policies that you just have to turn a blind eye to. But man, to, to always be turning a blind eye, to always be making exceptions, then your church is just banging around. And one of the things I love about our church is our church knows that the monies that they give for our world missions program, they are very carefully used. Because we do have these policies, and they know that, man, we're vetting the people that go overseas very, very carefully. So if you want to engender uh, confidence within the rank and file of your church to give, because our missions committee is really making these resources wisely used, uh, man, be careful with who you send and how you use the money. Uh, yeah, brings uh, all within the church together on what's, <clears throat> what the goals of the local church are. Uh, once our elders, and it took a while, uh, one of the things that we, uh, in making up these policies, we said, this is what we call missions at Claremont Emanuel Baptist Church. We have many, many other ministries that we endorse. We validate them and we support them financially. But when we speak of missions here, well, that man, that was very caustic. You're saying he's not a missionary? And so, uh, because of that, we grandfathered everything in under the term missionary, okay, because we didn't want to call people that were uh, missionaries for 20 years actual uh, ministries of the church. Uh, so, be wise with that. But it did help, once we got those policies passed, to have a Sunday to present uh, both of the policies. And I preached for those two different Sundays, this is what we're doing as a church, and we better biblically be able to support it. We're not just randomly banging around with some cool ideas. Uh, we had a time to preach that to our people. And then these are the type of people. And in doing that, man, the people that were at the church at that point in time, there's been a lot of turnover, realizing man, we're really thinking it through as a church. And the support that we've had church-wide for our missions program is really fun to be a part of. Uh, helps potential missionaries candidates to know beforehand what type of focus the church has and what type of people the church will be sending. Uh, save them the disappointment. If they've got this dream, I want to go to Belgium and start a coffee shop for U.S. servicemen, 
and that's, that's a literal situation. And I remember her being in my office, you know, tears coming down there, just making, they're so needy, they're, you know, just squeezing the heartstrings. Sorry, honey, ain't going to happen. You know, and uh, I said it nicer than that. But uh, and for them to know beforehand, that ain't going to fly, not at our church. And to be able to envision your people for reaching the last tongue tribe and nation. Uh, clear policies do help to lessen uh, hurt feelings. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to make a big push on that. Ineffective missionaries. Uh, some of you guys are in a situation, if you have very many missionaries on the field, you're all in the situation. Uh, should we be supporting them? Uh, this is a sticky thing. Uh, by, oh, my word. Um, and you, if you guys are just coming to where you're forming missions policies and really taking this issue of the Great Commission seriously, you're going to be looking uh, very clearly and closely at every one of your missionaries, and you're going to realize, wish we hadn't sent that out. Wish we'd given a couple left or right turns to that one there earlier on. Um, and so don't be terrified of having the fact that uh, you've got some guys that maybe uh, shouldn't be on your rolls. I would say this, uh, as you guys implement uh, clearer missions policies, grandfather every, everybody in. Don't split your church. Don't off-ramp people that have been on the field for 15, 20 years. Uh, they, because what is true about every missionary, they have a following in your church. You might not know how big their following is, and for you to jeopardize their future on the field, you could be bringing great damage to these people who have venerated them uh, for 15 years, and they've had sacrifices and, and uh, much of their services to be esteemed. So go very slowly. <clears throat> A couple things in regards to this. Be slow with that label. Uh, let's all remember that Judson himself didn't experience a breakthrough in Burma for 16 years. Uh, so, man, for these people that have stuck faithfully um, at the helm and uh, tried and tried and tried when God decides to do a breakthrough, if they're actually learning a language, they're fluent. If they're 16 years and they're not even trying to learn language, uh, if they're 16 years and they're the, what I call the jet-set missionary, flying back and forth for every wedding, for every graduation, every uh, major event in the family, uh, yeah, I would not say that effectiveness is in their future. Judson stayed the whole 16 years. Uh, so just being there on the field for 16 years doesn't give you an automatic out clause for being effective or ineffective. Uh, don't split your church by acting hastily. Uh, we've already talked about that. Be sure you've done all you can to help the worker beforehand. Again, workers that went overseas before uh, clear goals and culture and language acquisition. Um, sad. It is really hard to develop a culture and language acquisition mentality once you've been on the field. If you don't come with that absolute honed attitude and preparation, if they don't know phonetics, phonemics, linguistics, applied anthropology, if they don't know how to use time discipline, if they haven't been on time charts before they get to the field, they're not going to do it when they get to the field. It only devolves the other direction. And uh, man, I've actually heard one agency say, you'll get that on the field. Too late. Too late. Uh, it's like telling an 18-year-old guy, uh, you'll learn how to fire your M16 once you get to Afghanistan. Too late. Uh, man, if they don't have clear goals, clear preparation before they get to the field, they're not going to just backdoor, backflop into it. It just doesn't happen that way. Uh, so that's another factor. Uh, again, step four in this, contact local field leadership to confirm or not your concerns. Uh, and again, be very slow to drop a missionary on, from your support roles. But uh, 
<clears throat> try to figure out if, in fact, uh, this thing is water under the bridge. He's been on the field 17, 18 years. Fluency isn't in sight. I remember being in one Asian country, and uh, we, Beth and I were passing through on our way back to New Guinea, and, and my in-laws had actually recommended that we stop in with this missionary. So we did. He had a church there. And uh, they asked me to preach, and I uh, pr- you know, spoke for 10 minutes. And then uh, the pastor, the missionary that our church was supporting, he stood up. I, I expected to speak through an interpreter. I saw this missionary who'd been there 17 years standing up speaking through an interpreter. And uh, I, I was shocked. And uh, afterwards, at lunch, I kind of gently poked around. Uh, what is that? Oh, oh, most people here understand English. Most of the people here understand English. That may or may not be a true statement, but English is only part of the issue there. The, the, the culture of those people is so tied with the language, too, and to not take the time. If you're going to be there as a career missionary, you learn the language of the people. That's just a mandatory. That's a no-brainer. But again, uh, 20, 30 years ago, that, that wasn't a no-brainer. And so people that were in Englishized situations, they did not put a priority in learning the language and culture. Uh, again, contact your local field leadership. If, in fact, that missionary has no plans to learn the language and culture of the people, it might be on a furlough, a a time to sit down with him or her and develop a plan. How do we segue you into a different vocation in life? Okay, maybe this isn't for you. Uh, You guys are not forevermore tied to people who will not become effective. Uh, And that's that's very, uh, very difficult to do once they've been on the field. How does a local church see missionaries raised up? Okay. Uh, first step in this, again, if the senior pastor doesn't have, whether he's preaching it from the pulpit, and that's always the best, and that happens from our pulpit on a regular basis, uh, but there's other ways. To, to be honest with you, the, the huge missions effort of our church uh, in San Diego was actually uh, through the youth pastor. And, uh, but the senior pastor was wise enough to see God is using this guy's to raise up people. And so he had his back. And just to silently, quietly have his back can be adequate if you've got a very gifted mobilizer on your church staff or somewhere within your church. <clears throat> Hearing this from the uh, pulpit is validation. One thing that the youth pastor will never have is the ears of the parents. Uh, it just worked out that most of us who re- were raised up in the church, uh, our parents didn't go to that church. We got saved there at that church in, in our high school years. But if you have actually young people that uh, have been to your church for years and their moms and dads are in the church body, it will be important that the senior pastor is working effectively to help parents, as was said here by Chad, to, to hold their kids less tightly. Uh, that is typically for, uh, kids from Christians' family. That is the, the most difficult issue for them. My mom and dad did not raise me to go to Ooga Land, okay? Uh, They're not excited about this, and uh, I get that, but uh, again, senior pastors are in a much better position to address that than the missions pastor or the youth pastor. He rarely has uh, the pulpit with those people. Uh, Having a mission committee that knows what to do with an individual is critical. Having uh, your own set of criteria, uh, I've some, as we mentioned earlier, some churches don't have any criteria. They don't know what to do with a potential missionary candidate. I do think there are some churches that have way too much uh, t- uh, preparation ex- expected from them. Uh, there, there should be some theological preparation. You should have confidence that their marriage is strong. You should have confidence that if missions isn't for them, they can get a job in the community. Uh, they're not doing missions as a fallback thing because I can't really get a job. Uh, those aren't the type of people... Uh, that you want to be sending. Uh, knowing how to vet is a must be. 
Okay, and I, I found that difficult myself as a missions pastor. Uh, I can do endless cups of coffee, endless lunches, and I never saw the person in a working environment. I didn't see them interacting with their peers in, in situations like that. That's one thing we are in a unique position to do down at Radius, and we take that very seriously, is the character vetting of missionary candidates. And we, it's arbitrary to a degree, uh, but we say that 60% of church planning, this is, of course, assuming that God is doing his part. If God is not wanting to open up the minds of anybody in that language group, that's, that's out of it everybody's hands. But assuming that God is doing his part, we will say that pioneer church planning is roughly 60% about character, stick-to-itiveness, uh, and obedience, uh, discipline, uh, people skills, character, your ability to make friends in a difficult all these things, countless other areas. Uh, 40% is about having the technical skills, knowing the phonetics, the phonemics, the church planting principles, the Bible translation. I'm not even getting into Bible translation now. But, um, yeah, knowing how to vet. Uh, and that's really difficult. I, I say that uh, as one who tried to vet uh, very carefully, uh, and I just found it difficult. I just could not see them in enough walks of life. Uh, Acts 13, being preemptive. Uh, man, as the uh, elders there in uh, Antioch, as they went and approached Paul and Barnabas. Uh, that's, that's not out of hand to do. And I think that I, I, I wish that was more common. I have yet to see a radius student where the leadership of the church actually approached them and said, we really see that you could do this. Uh, man, would you consider this? It, it might be happening. I'm just not aware of it. But I, I ask that question every year. And I've yet to have some. oh, yeah, my, my lead, I wasn't even thinking of this. And then my elders approached me. So, guys, you might want to consider that. Uh, but, again, uh, that's on the hopeful side. Uh, high school and college career group leaders are key in this area. Uh, again, uh, man, to have people in those positions, and I speak as one who, uh, without my youth pastor, there's no way in heck. No way would I have ever considered this, but he had such a powerful influence and voice in my life uh, that's something that I would never uh, have, have thought of doing. Uh, and he, uh, I won't say this in the larger meeting this afternoon, but we called him the youth pastor from hell, okay? Because uh, even though we had this gigantic youth group, we had 500 to 1,000 high school guys coming every Wednesday night to listen to him. Uh, he was not preaching a message that we enjoyed. Uh, but he put it in our face, and he would tell us on a regular basis, San Diego doesn't need another youth pastor. I've got it covered. Get out of here. And uh, he never talked about short-term missions. He never pushed short-term missions. We didn't know there was such a, such a thing as short-term missions. The only type of applications he had were career, give-your-life applications. Uh, you might be, well, that, that ship has sailed. And I, I realize that uh, we live in a different world, okay? But, man, the, I think the principles that he was working off of are still uh, worth uh, looking into. What a key guy he was. Uh, an important thing. What is the difference between missions and the Great Commission? The Great Commission is actually seeing accomplished what Chad was just talking about. Getting the gospel to every last tongue, tribe, and nation. That is the Great Commission. Are there other things to do overseas? Yes. Thank God for churches that are doing them. Uh, th those are things that can be done on a shorter time frame. They can be done by putting a lot of money toward it. They can be done, and, and, and there's a sense of satisfaction in alleviating felt needs, visible needs. I get that, and I, I never want to speak against that. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, it has been over 2,000 years since our Savior said, man, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And how uh, we have been taken up, and the, let's not kid ourselves, the vast majority of missions money is going into meeting felt needs. 
It is a small, I've heard anywhere from 1% to 3%, 1% to 3% focused on getting the gospel to the last language groups. Uh, That's why our church staked out a position. We're not going to speak against whatever anybody else does, but we are going to put our finances and our lives to seeing the Great Commission. It's been too long, and that commission is too clear for us to put it into the mix of missions. That is missions. These are ministries that we support. Whether they're overseas ministries or local ministries, uh, they're good ministries. We will not speak against uh, people that do this uh, to know that. Uh, I think that, again, uh, is not hard to prove biblically. Chad had a very limited amount of time. I wish he had twice the amount of time. Uh, but it, it is biblical. From back in Genesis 11, when God wanted to differentiate the peoples, he could have created new religions and scattered them. But he didn't. He could have just geographically moved them to different parts of the planet, but he didn't. He reaches that part that is intrinsic to our humanness and our godlikeness. And we're communicators. And that, there's something about that. And then we get into Genesis 12, 3. And uh, he says, man, all families on earth will be blessed with you. Well, what's the, the one unifying force of a family? Is, do all families have the same religion in common? No. Uh, do they all live geographically in the same? No. The one thing that differentiates a family is they all speak the same language. They grew up at mom and dad's table. They learned that language. For some reason, language is the number one criteria to our God. And we see that carried on through Genesis uh, Revelation 5, 9, and Revelation 7, 9. Uh, there's just, this isn't the time to jump on Chad's message there. Uh, but again, there is that distinction. It's not a radius thing. We're accused, oh, you guys, that's a radius thing. No, it's not. And it's a God thing. He wants to be worshipped in every tongue, tribe, and nation. That is the essence of the Great Commission-type ministry, putting our focus on that. And again, uh, that's a church-wide discussion, a definitely a discussion with your elders. Uh, why is it important? How do you move from a generic missions approach toward a more focused approach? Uh, you do it slowly. <laughs> you do it slowly. As you change and hone down the focus of your church and missions, uh, go slow. Uh, there are little kingdoms all over every church, okay? And, and that's, not a, that's kind of a provocative word. Uh, but realize people have made their thing the thing for the church. And you want to be very slow, very gracious in uh, adjusting that church focus. How do you balance God-honoring ministries? And there are God-honoring ministries that not, are not related to the Great Commission. Man, we should be involved with widows and orphans. We should be in the jailhouses. We should be. And I will say this, our youth pastor, and I'll mention this this afternoon, uh, even as he was pushing, pushing, pushing on the Great Commission, every Saturday he was taking us to Mexico to wash orphans, okay, and to feed orphans and to wrestle with orphans. Every Sunday he was taking us to a handicapped home uh, where we learned how to uh, bathe and change the diapers of people in their 30s and 40s and wash their hair and pop zits and things like that. It wasn't just overseas, overseas. And if that's our focus and we're not doing this, uh, it could fall on deaf ears. So uh, lots to do with that. Uh, Yeah, how much financial support should a local church give? Uh, That's always an interesting one. Uh, Every church will eventually come up with its own formula. Our church has its formula. You need to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. I just receive it. Uh, But uh, anyway, some factors, the size of the church, okay? Uh, Yeah, if you're from an extremely large church and you've got one missionary sent out, you have a little more latitude uh, to give give more to them. I'm I'm always a bit concerned. Our first partners uh, that we had in New Guinea, uh, their church was supporting them, I think, at about an 80% ratio. Uh, the church almost split, and that would have been the end of their time in New Guinea. So take that into account. It is good to have other supporting churches uh, behind them. 
uh, sizes of the church. Uh, from that church or is he an outsider? Is this person uh, one that was raised up within your church ministry? Uh, that does warrant a special look. Man, he is our kid. And it is a great thing. Some of you guys are in churches uh, that you're sending money to people that aren't from your church. That's very common. Uh, but what's a little bit sad, and, and as our church had more and more of its own sons and daughters going out, missions became our thing as a church. It wasn't just for sending money to people who really don't know. They're good people. Uh, but man, what a glorious day it is when someone who is raised in your church is standing up front as the leadership lays hands and commissions them. And the people know this is our son. This is our daughter. Uh, look for that day. Pray for that day. Uh, and, and, and again, it, it warrants looking at it a little bit differently. Is that percentage or amount viable if a missionary, if your missionary rolls triple? Okay, uh, You have to look down the road because Lord willing, uh, the first one will not be the last one. There will be many more. And so uh, I will say this. Uh, as our church began to send out us guys that were kids at the time, man, there were tremors in the, in the church. How do we do this? Uh, because they, they could see us going out and more coming behind us. God grew our church. God grew our church. You get in line with God's heartbeat for the world, uh, be prepared for some really good things to happen. So don't be thinking just about where you're at today. Uh, man, if this is a top-down, you know, top-to-bottom uh, embracement of the Great Commission by your church, uh, look for God to do things. And again, that does not mean we exclude local ministries. Uh, how in line with church policies is that missionary candidate? They should be absolutely in line, with, with, with very few exceptions. And maybe little doctrinal uh, variations in there are, are overlookable. Uh, I've appreciated, um, yeah, man, I've, I better be careful with this. Uh, man, it's been fun to see churches uh, having their candidates down at Radius. And as these folks uh, learn to appreciate each other, them coming together on teams. And I'm amazed at the maturity of some churches that have a very hard line on quite a few issues to be able for the sake of the gospel, well, we'll find a medial position. We'll make this work. I've really appreciated churches that have been able to do that. And, of course, is it going long-term or short-term? That's very much in the equation there. Uh, I, don't get short-term addicted uh, young people in your church. Uh, be careful of that. that that's generally uh, not a great idea. I want to say it in stronger terms, but uh, I won't. Um, is it important to know the methods your missionaries are using? If your missionaries have been overseas, I would say five years or longer, look into it. Look into it grace, graciously. Okay, Don't look for a, a lever to hit and eject them. Uh, but do not be surprised, uh, depending on the agency that your folks have gone out with, if they are doing methods. When you really look into it, that would be very disappointing for your church. And uh, honestly, in this day and age, uh, because now, uh, due in no small part to this book, uh, which has gone far and wide with people that are interested in missions, uh, sir, no shortcut to success. And this is uh, written by a guy who's serving on the field within a mission board that is overrun by poor methodologies. And every one of these people who are using poor methodologies love the Lord Jesus. They're nice people. And they, they would be speaking in terms like you would talk to a Mormon at the door. They speak in, using the same terms, but defining them differently. You really have to press. And if your people are within an agency that's making use of poor methods, it's going to be very awkward for you to question them. Uh, you feel like you're almost being rude. Can you, rude. Can you define that term? What do you mean by that term? Uh, some of you might be supporting missionaries that have phenomenal breakthroughs going through, uh, exciting and encouraging numbers happening. 
uh, you want to look into that. Uh, but read up first so you know how to question that and, and question it graciously. Um, it is tragic. In the last 20, I'll say 22 years, we've sent enough money and enough missionaries overseas to complete the Great Commission easily. They haven't been prepared. They're using shortcut methods. They don't know the language and culture. They're working through interpreters. They're allowing unsaved people to lead Bible studies. Okay, People that don't have the Spirit of God indwelling them. Uh, Bible, uh, Bible translation methods are now driven by speed. Uh, I'll just give you one uh, example. When I was... Uh, when I was a Bible translator in New Guinea, this is 1992, and we had the, the worldwide head of New Tribes Mission Translation Department. Her name was Carol Gutwein, brilliant woman. And I'd worked with Carol a few times. She came in and she checked my, uh, uh, my translation of the book of Romans. And uh, I was an experienced translator by then. I'd been translating for seven years. And she said, Brad, it's good. You know, is everything up to this level? I was, I was glad to hear that this is good. And it took us about a week and a half to check the Book of Romans. But she said it's good. It's high quality, ex- exegetically correct. And it, man, obviously it communicates. And I won't get into a Bible translation seminar here. But is everything of this quality? And that's where I had to, you well, know, sort of. Well, when I was a new translator, of course it wasn't at that quality. And she said, let me tell you a story. And uh, Carol is a worldwide translation consultant. She said, I just got back from Africa a year and a half ago. And we had a confab there of the American Bible Society, United Bible Society, New Tribes Mission, Wycliffe Bible Translators, all the big translation societies. And what we had to admit to is that over 70% of the Bible translations that had been completed are unusable. Sitting on the shelves of mission offices somewhere in Africa. The translators knew the, 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 the language grammatically, syntactically, analytically. They couldn't speak it. They, they didn't hear the rhythm of the language. It didn't flow from them. And so these translations with all the blood, sweat, and tears and money, unusable. That's back in 1990. It's gotten worse today. It's gotten worse today. Uh, be careful. Look into what are the methods you're using. Uh, translators that are translating through an interpreter that, that he speaks the local language, the interpreter, but the translator doesn't speak the local language. Uh, there are so many shortcut methods being used in missions today. So, guys, uh, be gracious, be, be wise, read up, know your stuff, but get involved with the, your missionary efforts overseas. Uh, it is, to me, tragic. Uh, and, 22 years after we could have seen the Great Commission in the sense of reaching every last language group. We're still uh, where we're at in that. Uh, historic methods are not being taught by many agencies. Uh, the, the thinking being historic methods take too long. Well, they do take longer. I'll, I'll not be shy about that. They do take longer. Uh, methods have changed dramatically. We've talked about that. Uh, terminology often does not reflect what is happening. It takes a lot of questioning. And uh, man, even as somebody uh, who's in the middle of the missions world and missiological world, it took, when we started Radius and uh, <clears throat> we had the first students in in 2012, and for three years as we had visiting missionaries come down, us ones who had worked long term overseas were sitting in the back listening to these new versions, new ways, and just scratching our head until it finally came together. And we were doing it full time. Again, uh, this book, No Shortcut to Success, really distills that down for you. So it's a must-be read, for, and it's a giveaway, too, this afternoon. 
just takes time. Uh, you could be financing something your church is doctrinally or methodologically opposed to. Uh, it is worth taking the time to look into these things. Not to be ferreting out with evil motives. Uh, that's not the case. Nobody serves overseas long, time, long term with evil motives. Um, and then how much member care should the local church provide a missionary? Um, yeah, we've talked about this. Uh, don't, don't rob your missionary of the benefits of loneliness. Uh, being all there is critical. Uh, yeah, when, uh, so, when someone comes down, this may be old news to many of you, but when a, a student comes down to Radius, uh, he does not bring a telephone. Uh, he's offline. He's not online communicating uh, with his church. Uh, real time, you can l- write letters, and then once every weekend, you can upload and download le- letters. We want them all there. You want your missionary all there when he's on the field. Uh, you do not want him coming home for every wedding. You do not want him coming home for every graduation. And too often it is the case that, well, the church doesn't have to finance it. I've got an uncle who will pay for the ticket because it's his daughter that's getting married. It's a really close friendship. If that missionary hasn't already been imbued with the idea, I stay, I stay, I stay. And we always joke about it, uh, but I stay. If that's not his own conviction, it's really hard for the church to push him to stay, especially when the money's there. But don't kid yourself, it is robbing him of his focus. And if you drag out language and culture learning too long, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. You just lose your momentum. Those first few years that your missionaries overseas are critical. Uh, we should vi- when, who should visit and when are issues to think through. Uh, man, we're not talking about a 10-year moratorium, but hey, somebody should go visit him. Think it through in, in better terms than that. Where is he at? They've only been on the field six months. They've only been on the field a year and a half. Maybe we should let them do their job. If they're doing okay, if, if their marriage has fallen apart, that's a different situation. But if they're doing their job, keep doing your job. Uh, don't cave into, well, this church here, man, they really do a lot of member care. We, we don't want to be looking bad in the member care department. Uh, there are upsides to letting your missionary be all there. And, yeah, and I'll, I'll just say, yeah, if, uh, if they've been trained at Radius, these will not be new concepts for them. Uh, they will understand that, and they will appreciate you guys uh, not smothering them with member care. Do you guys, uh, okay, I, I know I zipped through some things here. Do you guys have any questions? My church just puts all kinds of missions together in one lump, and you know, I'm the committee chair for everything from local stuff to international. Is there, is there any that's a great idea to have a local leader who oversees local ministries and your foreign missions, your, your great commission, whatever you want to call it. Uh, because when you lump them together, one eats up the other, and typically local ministries is going to eat up your foreign mission stuff. There's been some uh, parameters around overdue member, member care and uh, I think in the first two years that a missionary is on the field to have a visit, okay, from somebody who knows that person, that can disciple, can encourage, from a key person, you're not going to keep mom and dad away. I, I know that. So I'll, I'll, you can try, but good luck. Uh, later on, that's really up to the missionary and his situation. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it there. But yeah, when they're in the ministry and, and they've been there for a while, and I, I guess a lot of it's going back to our situation, we, we just didn't feel like we needed it that much. Okay, But we weren't raised on it. We weren't suckled on it. The world didn't allow for it then. And, and thus, <clears throat> we're really trying. Well, one of the encouraging things about our missionary candidates that come out of Radius, man, within a few weeks they realize 
I'm tougher than I thought I was. And that's a great mentality to approach this thing. And for them, uh, don't, don't hit the emotion button with your church every time you have a bad day. Easy to do, and you have people that will react to a bad day. And for your church to be able to say, hang through there, hang, hang tough, you'll get through this. Uh, and again, not saying there isn't a time, get on a plane, go visit them, you know, but be wise. Yeah. Are there any things where you would say concrete, um, I'm thinking ages, kids' ages, things like that, we'd say maybe probably don't go approach this couple or maybe definitely go approach this couple? Yeah, age is a factor. Uh, we, we don't take applications from people that are 40. I was a language consultant for 13 years, and man, I saw the difference between somebody coming when they were 25 on the field and some, somebody coming when they're 35. That is a huge component. I love the maturity of the 35-year-old. I love the flexibility of the brain cells of the 25-year-old. And this is so much predicated on you being able to communicate. So um, I know, I think of Brooks that said uh, elder qualified. Uh, I think more commonly we say on a, tr- on a track to be elder qualified because age may preclude that. But if he's maturing, you see that capacity in there. Uh, he's been out of college a couple of years and he's got some life skills. Uh, he's obviously going to be able to provide for himself his family. Those are the type of people, you know, and they've got a heart for God and they're involved with your church, uh, man, to, to, to get ahead of that thing. That can be really encouraging for a candidate to, to know that my church sees that potential in me. Does your church make a distinction calling local outreach something different from missions? Zach, you want to answer? Our church missions is only church planting, you know, frontline church planting missions. Um, or those who supported um, teachers um, in, a local, in a school that oversees and allows the missionaries to be in, in the field. Um, so otherwise, local ministry is just a local ministry. It's not missions. So that's the missions committee doesn't even touch that stuff. That's that's a different. That's underneath the church umbrella, but not missions at all. Missions is very specific in our church. And, and we only call it one thing. We actually came up with a glossary of what the words mean in our church. Because we don't want people confused coming to our church thinking terms mean something other than the way we use them. We're very intentional. Thanks. Sir. So we support uh, quite a few missionaries in our church at kind of a modest level. And we're debating possibly... Um, Supporting fewer at a higher higher level, and I'm just wondering if you could speak to the pros and cons of that. Yeah, if that entails uh, cutting some, uh, that's going to be a dicey discussion. Again, they have a, they have a fan club in their church. If you could actually increase numerically the amount of your budget to where you could make that happen, I'd see that as a great idea. But uh, just be careful of cutting missionaries. Part of our thinking is that as some have retired out, not replacing them, just increasing support for those. No, that's a painless way of doing that. Yeah. The other thing we've done at our church is as we've had some missionaries that we felt we needed to cut because of practices and stuff, we've put them on a um, like a five quarter, 20% every quarter. For, so it's a gradual uh, thing to give them time to. Yeah, if they're actually using bad methods, and honestly, we're trying to dance around it with nicer terms, 
but there are some really bad methods that some of your missionaries are using, and you do need to get them off your rolls wisely without splitting your church, if they will not relinquish those methods. Yeah. All right, we are out of time. Thanks for being here. Have a great lunchtime. <laughs>